0: Thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. Acts chapter 11, verses 19, uh, and we'll go through verse 30. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were being brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace which you have shown to us. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts and offices that we see at work in the kingdom And Lord, we pray that you would continue to teach us and show us the uh, proper uh, employment of the gifts and offices even in this local church. God, give us wisdom as we look to your word. God, we desire to be one unified body led by the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you would help us to remain focused upon the building of your kingdom, Not simply the growth of a local church or the the, the furtherance of the gospel in one community, Lord, but help us to be concerned about the kingdom at large. And as we invest in the kingdom, you will work and bless us individually and this local church as well. We thank you, God, for your grace today. Help me, Lord, to share your word, uh, to not get off in the weeds, to stay focused in the flow of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus, I pray amen. amen. you may be seated. Last week, uh, we saw how uh, peter uh, had uh, reported back to Jerusalem what had gone on in Caesarea at Cornelius's house. Now, again, if this is your first time joining us in this series, uh, I'd encourage you to read up to where we are in uh, the book of Acts. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've seen how uh, God is working, God is pouring out His Spirit in various contexts, in various groups of people, and he's moving from primarily the gospel going forward with Jewish people to the gospel moving into uh, Gentile people as well, and the Gentiles taking hold of the gospel. And we saw that happen at Cornelius' house, and Peter had uh, been in Caesarea, come back to uh, Jerusalem, was sharing with the uh, leaders in the Jerusalem church about what was happening up in Caesarea and how the House had received uh, the gospel and received the Holy Spirit, just as the apostles had there on the day of Pentecost. And those who heard Peter, they glorified God, and uh, they were rejoicing that the gospel was going to other people. And as we get to the text this morning, what we realize is that uh, Stephen's martyrdom that happened uh, several chapters ago in the book of Acts is still continuing uh, to produce fruit for the kingdom. We see that evangelists are moving out of Jerusalem, which was kind of the central hub of where all of the activity of the church was taking place. It was happening there in Jerusalem, and they are uh, kind of following a track outside of Jerusalem in accordance to the commands of the Lord, taking the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, I want to just give a very, very brief, simple uh, geography lesson so you can kind of uh, sort of have an understanding of how things are uh, moving. If you were to look at a map today, you would kind of see the, the Mediterranean Sea and and Israel there at the end of the Mediterranean Sea. And as you have Israel, you have uh, Lebanon, Syria, and then Turkey that is kind of to the north of the Mediterranean. So Israel, Lebanon, Syria, and Turkey. Uh, Turkey. And so, these places, we kind of want to start seeing how the gospel is impacting these places even in the first century. So, that's kind of the path. The gospel is taking a northern, a northern route and moving its way uh, over into Europe. So, you're climbing up North of Israel moving up into Lebanon, Syria over into Turkey, and it 's kind of pushing its way through and it is being the the pathway is being forged by those who are called to be evangelists and so as we read in the text, the gospel is moving up into Phoenicia which is north of Israel over into Cyprus, which is an island kind of in that northern region just below uh, Turkey and into Antioch, which is as well onto that northern region where uh, Syria and Lebanon are today. Antioch was a city that was on a major river about 20 miles off the Mediterranean coast. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because it was an important sort of trade route, a connecting point from what was happening in Europe, coming through Turkey down, coming over, coming up. Antioch was kind of there at a very important point place uh, a trade route. It was also a a pagan city. So you have this city that is a, a connecting point up from Egypt, from Asia Minor, from Greece, Italy, Mesopotamia. All of these people are kind of converging in one location. It's a natural trade route. It's near the coast. It's near a major river. And so it's a place where people are coming and going. What better place for the gospel to take root? You're meeting people from all over the world. You're seeing people from all over the world. These are evangelists are interacting with people from all over the world and when that person takes hold, they then go back and take it back to their homeland. This is the means that in the first century, the gospel was taking root among the people. Antioch was a city that was uh, steeped in paganism, yet there was a fairly significant Jewish population there. And when those who came from Jerusalem headed up to Antioch, they began preaching to the Jews, but also began preaching to the Greeks as well. So again, looking at the scriptures, looking at the text, what you see in the church is not a stationary people staying in one hub, hanging out in one place, but you see a church that is moving, 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 and the borders or the cutting edge of the gospel is continually being pushed out farther and farther and farther. And they set a hub in Jerusalem of going, out now, Antioch is being moved, and this is a major city, and it's becoming a hub. And now we're sending out. And a few things we want to note is that they're heading, heading, H-E-A-D-I-N-G, not hitting heading H E A D I N G, not H I T T I N G, heading to these major city centers. There's a reason, there's a reason as a church that we think about and we pray for our city and. Uh, community. Think about the environment in which we live here in Charlottesville. Just take a look around even this very congregation. We could name off the different places in this country or around the world where you and I are from. A very cosmopolitan place. God has placed us here in a strategic location, not for the purpose of earning a big living, not for the purpose of having a fat bank account, but for the purpose of the gospel. That's why we are here. That's why we are in this location. That's why you've been called to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's because God has a desire for the gospel to go out and to impact the entirety of the world. I don't think we're sitting here in Charlottesville, Virginia, just because we thought it up of our own accord. I think God is doing something. I think there's a reason and a purpose. Persecuted believers, we see they were what they were experiencing in Jerusalem. That persecution, that pressure is what opened the doors for the church to grow. Persecution didn't stop the church, but it helped to spread the gospel because the gospel is unstoppable. No matter how much political systems, people, uh, uh, whatever else tries to come in, other religious viewpoints and stop the gospel, you will not stop the gospel. Some of the most persecuted countries are the countries where the gospel is flourishing the most. That is the beauty of the gospel. The more man tries to squash it, the more it pops up and grows here and there and there and there. And we see it here in scripture. The gospel is unstoppable. Stephen's persecutor's intention was to stop, but it had the exact opposite effect. We'll kill this guy and it will stop, but it spread all the more. Went to many regions, other cities carried by different people. The beauty of the gospel going forward. This group of evangelists who began sharing the gospel to whomever would listen, including the Greeks. See, that is the nature of an evangelist. An evangelist is a passion, someone who has a passion for those who have not heard or have not been obedient to the gospel. They want them to hear good news. Someone who is called to be an evangelist is going to share the gospel. Someone who is called to be an evangelist will witness to a fence post They will be witnessing one way or the other. They will be sharing the message of hope one way or the other. In this case, these evangelists come. They don't care if it's Jews or Greeks. Hey, we're talking about Jesus. The evangelist preaches repentance, preaches salvation through Christ. They want to plant gospel seeds and see the gospel take root in unconverted people. Evangelists are not traveling preachers. They're not people who simply go from church to church to church and preach to already converted people. Evangelists are people who want to share gospel seeds with people who have not heard or have not been obedient. They want to see the unconverted come to saving knowledge of Jesus. It's one of the offices that the Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, and we see the office of evangelists being very, very active in the New Testament. Very active in the New Testament. There's a reason why that church was growing by leaps and bounds. The office of the evangelist was very active. When we speak in terms of what we would see today, I do make a distinction between the institutional church and the church at large, God's group, his body of believers. There are some things in the institutional church that that need to change. And one of the reasons I think that we don't see uh, the office or the work of evangelists as much in the modern era as we did in the New Testament has to do with a few reasons. One of them is relational, because evangelists bring all kinds of people into the kingdom. When they bring them into the kingdom... They come into local churches because they want to be discipled and they want to grow. And you and I have to think, are we willing to sit in pews and be next to people who don't look like us or act like us, who don't have all of the uh, nice uh, Christian culture that we have, doesn't look as nice as we have, maybe don't smell as nice as we do. The evangelist is going to witness to all of them. They're going to scatter the seeds and try to find who's going to be receptive. And you and I in a congregation have to say, are we accepting of that? And I can say there are some people that gather under the banner of the church that aren't accepting of all the seeds that are planted. We'll accept people who come in and dress a certain way, look a certain way, uh, have a certain air about them, but there's other people that we don't really want in our fellowship. There's other churches for you over there. We can't be a church like that. We have to be a church where everybody is mixed in together, where God, the gospel seeds are being cast. And when someone comes in and they're down and out, we have people who are strong in their faith who can go and can help pick them up. We have to be a group of people who are relational about the gospel. Satan's desire, Satan's goal is to break people, break them down, destroy people. That's what Satan's, he wants to further mar the image of God, that uh, human kind alone bears that is Satan's desire he wants to bring people and break them as hard as he can but when the gospel comes to them and God begins to put someone back they need people to come alongside of them who are patient who are long-suffering who have the fruit of the spirit that is dwelling in them that will come alongside and walk with them in a spirit of grace that has to be you and me We have to be willing. We have to be long-suffering. We also have to be vulnerable. Jesus said we're going to let the wheat and the tares grow together. That means there's going to be some people who are truly converted who come in, and some people who simply act like they're converted who come in. And the people who simply act like they're converted who come in, they may start to stir up some trouble. And we may get bit by them. You may get taken advantage of by them. And you know what the tendency is when you get taken advantage of by someone is to close it up and say, I'm not letting that happen to me again. But then the real deal comes along and we say, oh, I'm very skeptical here of what's going to happen. I'm very skeptical of what, then we kind of back off because we've been bitten once and we don't want to be bitten again. You and I have to be a people who are relational and willing to take risks with others I think one of the reasons we don't see evangelists as we see in the New Testament here is relational I think another reason is has to do with economics should a local group of believers employ or support someone who has evangelistic calling when most of the work that they're doing is outside of the local church Should a local church invest in the calling of someone to help them meet the needs of themselves and their family when much of the work they're doing might be out there and may not benefit warm bodies in here? See, we have to think broader than just our own organization, and I think God will continue to bless and continue to move as long as we have a kingdom mindset. I believe that. Yes, we want to grow this fellowship. We want to see God bring people in and bless people and help them grow in discipleship. But we also have to realize that we must be a kingdom people first. We must be a people who are about the work of Jesus in the world first. And sometimes we're going to make investments, and it will not benefit one seat in the pew here, one warm body in the pew here. But we're going to see it bless over there. Maybe we might be like the church in Antioch, who later tries to bless the church in Jerusalem. It doesn't really benefit Antioch in terms of warm bodies in the sea, but it does benefit Jerusalem, which benefits the kingdom. Maybe if there was a little more of that, there wouldn't be so many divisions between the local churches. We would see investment in one another as an opportunity to further advance the kingdom work. Must be willing to work with people willing to invest in the kingdom. Must be willing to help evangelists begin to share the message, be out preaching, sharing the message to those who have not heard. The gospel is unstoppable. It is moving. It will touch the ears of those who have not heard. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will raise up evangelists to preach the message. And you and I have to decide and have to, have to understand, are we going to be on that train or are we going to jump off and try to do our own thing? I want to be on that train. I want to be in the middle of it. I want to see what God is doing. I want to see the gospel being preached. I want to see people grabbing a hold of it. I want to see people who were once in darkness and in sin come to the beautiful light of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to see people stand forward and say, I will be baptized in obedience to the commands of Christ. I want to see us pray for people and see them receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But we must be on mission and we must be ready to receive them. Evangelists must be empowered, but we must also realize that the gospel empowers all believers. In verses 22 through 26, the Jerusalem sends. Barnabas up to the Antioch church to see what's happening. So Jerusalem church kind of hears what's happening up in Antioch, and they want someone to go and inspect the work and sort of make sure that things are sort of running along as they ought to, and Barnabas goes up to Antioch to see what is happening happening. Now, you and I may have various views of the apostolic ministry, but Barnabas in this capacity was acting certainly in the general role of an apostle as one who was sent to be an ambassador for the kingdom. He saw the work. He rejoiced. He encouraged the people to remain faithful to Jesus. We see in this passage that the church Grew. There were considerable numbers, the Scripture says, that were brought to the Lord. And growth is normative for healthy churches. We ought to want and we ought to expect growth. We see it twice in this passage talking about how the church grew through the power of the Holy Spirit. But remember, this is kingdom churches. But with growth, as we talked about last week, growth brings change. Growth brings change. I won't talk about that too much. You can go back and get the message from last week to share a little more extensively there. But with the extensive growth of the church, Barnabas saw a need, and he goes and gets Saul, or Paul, as we also know him, from Tarsus. This was quite a distance for Barnabas to take. So at this point in the story, we're about 15 years or so from the resurrection of Jesus, about 13 years or so probably from the Apostle Paul's conversion experience on the Damascus Road at about 47 A.D., Barnabas goes over to Tarsus, he brings Paul back to Antioch, and Barnabas and Paul teach in the Antioch Church for about a year. So the evangelists had laid the foundation, the apostles affirmed its validity, and now the gift of teaching are, uh, the gift of teaching is active and building upon the foundation, the various offices of the church working in concert with one another. Barnabas recognizes his gifting and that it's not enough. So he purposely goes and empowers others to live in their gifting as well. He's concerned about how others live out their calling. The Bible says he is a good man. He is full of the Holy Spirit and he is full of faith. Because when you step into the gospel, the gospel empowers you to live out your calling. One person and one church cannot fulfill the totality of the mission of Jesus. It's interesting here that Barnabas sees that it was necessary. He couldn't find exactly what he needed in the church in Antioch. And so he heads over to Tarsus to get Paul, who he remembered from before, and bring him back to Antioch in order to execute a teaching ministry. It was an immediacy that the people who had heard the message of Christ, that they would be taught and built up by Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. So I'd ask you the question, what is your calling? You're not sitting here this morning because you don't have a calling. We're here this morning together because the Lord has called each one of us to a specific place. Maybe it is to pray. Maybe it is to give. Maybe it is to go. Maybe God is calling you to be a missionary. Maybe God's calling you to be a pastor. Maybe God's calling you to be an evangelist. Maybe God's speaking to you. Maybe God's working in your heart. There is a need because when we truly believe the gospel and we truly see the fruit of the gospel, the gospel begins to empower other people to serve on mission. We have got to get away from the mindset that there is one person who stands in the pulpit who has the leadership capacity in order to make the church grow and move. We have to be a church that is comfortable with different people serving in different roles for the purpose of the kingdom. There are going to be those when we think about planting a church. We've talked more about planting a church this week than we have uh, just in terms of planning and thinking and praying and talking. We've talked more about it this week. I'm going to tell you, let's pray about what God might do in Crozet. Okay, let's, let's pray about what God might do in Crozet. But what we have to see God do is begin to raise up a pastor. God to begin to raise up someone who can kind of begin to give some direction there. But we don't just need a pastor. We also need an evangelist, someone who's gonna go out and begin to till that soil and begin to throw the seeds of the gospel and see people who will come to saving faith. We also need some teachers who will be part of that fellowship. We also need some people who are called to the ministry of worship who are going to step in and be part of that fellowship. How quickly can we do it? What's God speaking to you? We have to be a church that is on mission. It's no doubt in my mind that God is speaking to people in this fellowship right now about what your calling and purpose is, what his plan for you is. How you are to grow in Him. If we are people of the gospel, we must recognize that the gospel empowers us to live out our calling. We have to be a church that's willing to allow leaders to grow and learn in this fellowship. You've heard me say it before, we will not be a professional church. We cannot be a professional church where everything happens on cue. Where everything happens and we have the countdown in the back and it happens on cue. Oh, worship's gone one minute over. We're going to stop and move to the next thing. Preaching's gone one minute over. That's not happening. We're going to stop and move to the next thing. It's now this time, this time, this time. Churches have become so programmatic that it programs out a move of the Spirit. And what happens is if you're not professional enough, if you don't say it just right, if you don't frame it in just the right way, then you can't be in the public uh, area of the church until you got it all together. At some point, somebody has to be willing to step in and get their first try. Where is that going to be? Say, well, they might say something that's not right. Well, that's right. And you know what we do? We take them aside and we teach them a little more fully. And we say, hey, you know what? What you said was heresy. I don't think you meant to preach heresy. (laughs) (laughs) But let's look at the word of the Lord. Let's trust the word of the Lord and let's develop some skill. Let's develop some skill. And what we're also going to trust is that the people in the pew are strong enough to take the Bible and say, you know what, that's not quite right. But I'm going to, I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to let the Lord continue to work. See, it's not just, hey, we're just kind of receptive, receptacles back here, just kind of fill me up, fill me up. This is an active uh, situation in which you and I find ourselves. You have to be in the word as well. You have to be engaged in the word as well. Don't look to me. Don't trust me. Don't just say, oh, Robert said it, so it's so. You must also be in the word. You must also know the word. You must also pray for the discerning of the Holy Spirit. I am only man. I may get off. How many men have we known that at the end of their life get off track? I pray that God helps me to not be one of those people. But you have a responsibility to not just be a receptacle. fill, fill, fill. Whatever he says, I'll take. He seems like a nice guy. I like him. Whatever he says, I'll do. <laughs> then we find ourselves down in South America drinking Kool-Aid. <laughs> but when you find everything focused on one person, Everything focused on one role. The the summation of the church is not the pastor. In fact, if you want to think about it in terms of hierarchy, at least the way the Apostle Paul articulates it, you have apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then there's dispute, is it pastor and teacher or pastor, teacher? But either way, it's at the bottom rung. but who do we make as the primary leader in the local assembly? Well, maybe I'll put it this way. Who draws the biggest paycheck? We have to think through those things, don't we? What type of church are we going to be? What type of fellowship are we going to be? Because the gospel empowers all believers. We all must be on mission. Every one of us. The Apostle Paul shared this with regards to uh, the body. Some members have more of an upfront position. Some are more behind the scenes. But everyone is just as important. A church on mission empowers believers to fulfill their callings and to use their gifts. And as the church is empowering and sending, God supernaturally provides. Just in these very few verses of Scripture, look at the gifts that are present. Evangelist, apostle, teacher, pastor, prophet. In just a few verses, we see them all active and engaged. Prophets in Jerusalem... In verse 27, had received a revelation from the Lord. I thought about this as I was studying this passage. When is the last time that I ever recall a prophet coming in and sharing something that moved a church to immediate action? How would we accept that as a people? How would we accept a prophet coming in and sharing something with us that was a revelation from God? Would we act on it immediately? Or will we be skeptical? I I mean, I would be skeptical. I'll just say, I know, I'll put it out there. (laughs) But I don't want to be skeptical. I want to be moved by the Spirit to immediately discern what God is doing. And that seems to be the case here in the early church, that God had revealed to the prophets that there would be a great famine. It's also interesting that you find the prophets weren't in Antioch. The church was moving and grooving in Antioch, but the prophets were down in Jerusalem and the prophets moved up into Antioch to say, hey, there's something going on here that God is doing. God could have revealed it to the people in Antioch, couldn't he? He could have raised up a prophet in Antioch, but he didn't. He brought someone up from Jerusalem into Antioch to tell the Antioch people what was going to happen. Now, how often do we respond when someone comes to us and says, Brother, sister, I think the Lord has a word for you. Well, if the Lord wanted me to know, he would tell me himself. but that doesn't recognize the gifts that are evident within the body, does it? There is an authority and a grace and a power that comes when we recognize that the gifts are active in the body. What's interesting also here is that the Antioch church does not store up for itself, or at least we don't have any understanding of that. But what the Antioch church immediately does is receives a collection to be sent for the benefit of other people and sends the offering by Barnabas and Saul. So the Antioch church receives this revelation from the Lord. And in fact, there is historical evidence that there was famine in this exact time period, not just the testimony of scripture, although we take that as true and as fact, but there is archaeological evidence that there was a famine during this exact time period. And so the church in Antioch receives a collection, and they send it out, send that offering by Barnabas and Saul. Over the last few chapters, what we've seen is that God didn't reveal to the Jerusalem church or a lot of those in the Jerusalem church about the gospel going to to the Gentiles. Peter had to explain it in an orderly way. Here he didn't reveal to the Antioch church about the famine in a direct way he sent prophets to inform them and as a church you and I must respect and expect the various offices and gifts of the church to be active that's the type of church we must be and that's really what the church is is where the gifts of the spirit are active among God's people the gifts and the offices are active what is your gift What is God calling you to do? We ought not be part of organizations that are simply playing church, that simply have the name church on the end. If we truly want to be about kingdom business, we must be at a place where the gifts and offices are active because we see in the New Testament that active gifts and offices cause the gospel to go forward. You know, I don't want to be labeled as some do, label the church the frozen chosen. (laughs) When I read through Acts, do you see a frozen chosen? I see active movement, fire, burning, going, sending, giving, going. That's what I see in the book of Acts. Well, if that is what's happening in the book of Acts. We must see that the gospel empowers people to live out their calling. Yes, it is important for our fellowship to come together on a regular basis. Hebrews tells us that we should not forsake assembling together. We should not forsake coming together. But we also ought to be a kingdom-minded church that recognizes that God is doing something broader than any one person. Amen. On a personal level, there are many in Christianity in general, in the church, that have real, deep difficulties, challenges. And in many of these areas, we are praying for just a supernatural work of the spirit, God doing something beyond the ordinary. And and you see what's going on here with what the prophets are indicating. Hey, Hey, a famine is coming. God is doing something supernatural by revealing that to a group of people in order to send a gift down to another church. We see in the New Testament that that church is on mission, that they are regularly seeing supernatural works of the spirit. And I think that we ought not expect supernatural natural works in our life unless we are on the mission that God has called us to do. Why would God bless us while we are content to be the frozen chosen? See, the frozen chosen, you don't have to do anything. But when you're on mission with the Lord, there's going to be some rubs. There's going to be some challenges. There are going to be some difficulties. And sometimes when you're in that deep, dark place of life, one of the best things that you can do is get on God's mission. Your life and your challenges and everything else are happening here. One of the best things that you can do is pray and ask God, what is your gospel mission for me? You see, we would never tell an unbeliever to go get yourself cleaned up and then come to Jesus. In the same way, we should probably never expect our problems to be put in proper perspective until we're on mission with Jesus. The gospel provides for the church when the church is active and on mission, and there is gospel provision for you as well when you are active and on mission. Some of the most beautiful people I know are people who are in the depths of health challenges. You know, she probably wouldn't like me uh, mentioning her name, but a saint that I know is Sister Kathy Goble. Someone who is oftentimes uh, sick and ill, who has challenges, but is always on gospel mission. I couldn't tell you the number of times my family has received cards from her or gifts, small gifts for the children that have been so meaningful when I know that she probably doesn't have enough to get her through the week. But in her sickness and in her pain, it's on mission for the gospel, on mission for the gospel. So when we think about this and we think about our life, your life, my life, I want us to think about the opportunity that's right before us. Last week, we talked about the natural intersecting with the supernatural and that telling us something about what God is doing. The natural thing is coming upon us. This week, we're going to pray. We're going to call. We're going to go. Next Sunday, we will be on mission together. And this is an opportunity for you and me to be active in our giftings. The gospel is moving. We will not be stationary, but we will be stretched to change. You and I will be stretched to change. The gospel requires us to empower other people and to equip them. Those who are in the primary leadership roles, we have to be willing to take a back seat so others can step up. We have to be a pipeline producing leaders for gospel mission. As we're on mission in our callings, God will provide for you and me in amazing ways, and we've already seen that take place here in this church. And I'm going to ask you to pray. Stand with me and pray. And uh, I want to invite as many as who are comfortable and can to just find a place of prayer here at the altar or maybe at your seat. And I'd like us to take just a few more moments Let's pray specifically, one, for those who will come who don't know the Lord. Maybe there's people who you know, people who you are in relationship with, that God needs to give you the boldness to simply invite to an event to hear the gospel message. We're not trying to fill numbers. I will be thrilled to death if there are 50 people. Because that would be 50 people who will hear the gospel what we're also doing is we're asking God for as many as we can, as many as will come, as many as will come to hear the gospel message, not so we can say, rah, rah, look at us, but so we can say, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, be empowered by his spirit. Now you go out and be on mission. So I'm going to invite you to pray and to seek the Lord, first for those who you know in your sphere that don't know Jesus. Secondly, what is your role? what is your role? You're here this morning. You heard the message. God has a role for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a specific purpose and a specific plan. What is your role and your purpose? What is my role and my purpose? Let's be on mission. Let's be on mission as a body together. Let's spend just the next few moments uh, praying together and seeking the Lord. seat and that will be fine again if you find a place here in the altar you want to pray please do so but let's together for just the next couple of minutes spend some time interceding and praying that God would do a work for his own glory the people would come to Jesus the spirit would do the work Jesus would be exalted his glory would fill the earth broken people will be mended by the Holy Spirit. They will be obedient and follow the Lord in baptism. But long after and receive the precious baptism of the Holy Spirit, they'll be sent on mission. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.